Welcome to the ministry of Smyrna Presbyterian Church. Founded in 1914, Smyrna Presbyterian Church believes in the Bible as the Word of God and so desires to preach, teach, pray, and sing that Word so as to know Christ and make Him known in our community, country, and world. We invite you to join us in that mission. Worship services are every Sunday at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Here now is our pastor, the Reverend Joel Smith. Chapter 5, we will begin reading in verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Children, I'm sure that you have made a flip book before. If your parents aren't familiar with what is a flip book, let me remind them. It's where you take a picture on each page, and then when you rapidly flip through it, it looks like it is in motion. My son did one recently with a stick man on a skateboard that went up a ramp, and then obviously on the other side had an epic crash. Because what else should a stick man do than have an epic crash? And these flip books are a basic version of how movies are made. The reason why movies are called motion pictures is that it is, or at least was, individual pictures that are put in rapid succession to one another that show action or movement, motion. Again, I know it is old technology, but I'm sure most of you remember the old movie reels. Perhaps some of you had a job at the movie theater or the drive-in back in the day where you had to load the reels on the movie projector. And if you would pull out some of that film and look at it, you would notice that it is just individual pictures. And each individual picture, each individual snapshot doesn't tell you much. But when you put them together, they tell a story. As we come to the last sections of 1 Peter, we see something similar. Peter is telling the readers that their present situation is one that is not altogether pleasant. It is one of suffering. But that suffering is only one aspect of life. It is one picture. It is one frame. It is one snapshot in a sequence of many. At the very most, it's one scene of an entire film. And that snapshot, that picture, or even perhaps that scene does not summarize the entirety of one's life. The present is not the whole. And Peter goes on to say that the best part is that which is yet to come. In other words, life is in motion. And not only is life in motion, but God is at work, even in the mundane and even in the not-so-pleasant parts of life. And I think that is a word that we need to hear as well because sometimes we can lose the forest for the trees. 
In other words, we can get so bogged down in the mire and muck of life that we lose perspective, lose that sense of purpose of what's God doing and how am I a part of it? And we need that restored to us again. We need to gain perspective, do we not? Right now, where we are, but also where we are going. And as a result, we need hope. And this passage this morning has a hope, has a great hope that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we'll see this passage with the time that we have in three points. Our present situation, our future reality, and finally, the in-between. First, the present situation. As Peter comes to the ending of this letter, like a good preacher, he tries to give some summary statements, some highlights of what he has said. And one of the major themes, if not the major theme, is that of suffering. There are over... 20 verses in these five chapters that talk about suffering, that talk about trials, that talk about tribulation that the people of God were enduring. And Peter comes back to it again and again. From the very beginning, he tells them, in a sense, why this is. And it's no uh, mistake or no doubt for them. They know why it is, but it's important for us. Peter tells them that they are exiles. That they are literally living in a foreign land. Most likely converted Jews who find themselves in Asia Minor because of the dispersion. And so in other words, they are outside of the land in which they grew up. And now they are outsiders to their own people because of their conversion. And yet at the same time, in the land that they are living, they are foreigners. And therefore they are in many ways undesirable. Undesirable to their own, unwanted in the land that they are living. And as a result, they're dealing with the ramifications of that. The discrimination, the persecution, the unfair treatment as a result. And their present reality is one of suffering and of loss. Loss of livelihood, loss of essentials, even the loss of life. And Peter doesn't deny this reality. In fact, he confronts it head on. And that is a part of the scriptures that I find oftentimes most refreshing. Is its honesty. That's honest about life. Never tries to make life out to be something that it is not. Because life, quite frankly, can be hard, can it not? There is suffering. There is misery. There is pain. It's not all rainbows and sunshine all the time and the bible never denies that it never sugarcoats reality because it doesn't have to it can deal with life honestly because it has the answer to life and that answer is the lord jesus christ have you ever talked to someone and you unload on them a little and they quite frankly don't know what to do with it Maybe they ask you, how are you doing? And you let them know how you're doing. And then all of a sudden you get that deer in the headlight look. And in their mind they're thinking, why did I ask that question? And they don't know what to say. Or perhaps they say, well, I hope it gets better. Or 
Good luck with that. We don't need platitudes, do we? In times of difficulty. That helps no one. We need real solid answers. We need real solid ground. And Christianity never hides from the difficulty of life. It confronts it. It confronts it head on. Because it gives us the answer. The solution. Which is Christ. Always Christ. And look at what Peter says here in in verse 9. He says, Knowing that the same kind of suffering that they're going through is being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That this suffering is a shared suffering. That there are others going through the same. In other words, Peter is saying, you're not alone in this. Because oftentimes, one of the attacks of the evil one is loneliness. Trying to isolate us thinking that we are all alone or that no one understands or no one gets it or no one has gone through what we have gone through. And we can get like Elijah gets that we saw last week in 1 Kings 19 when he's fleeing from Jezebel. And he says to the Lord, I, even I, am left and they seek my life to take it away. Notice four times he mentions himself. I, even I, They seek my life to take my life away. Elijah gets a case of the I-itis, as I like to call it. Focusing purely on himself. Do you ever have that? We can get like that pretty easy, can't we? We suffer oftentimes in isolation. We bear those burdens alone. And that is an attack. The evil one is trying to separate us from others. Trying to separate us from the people of God. Remember last week we said the evil one is a roaring lion. If you know anything about lions, they always get the prey that is off by itself. The lone gazelle that is grazing over here, away from the herd. Peter says, don't have that mentality. You don't suffer alone. That which you are experiencing is not unique. It's not special. Paul says that no temptation, and I think we can add, no trial has seized you except that which is common to man. And so we should not think that this is different. Or no one has gone through this before. Because it only gives credence to those feelings that we need to cast upon the Lord. And cast upon one another. We're not to feel sorry for ourselves or to justify our excuses in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our pain. Because here is the key. There is no accidental misery for the people of God. There is no unplanned suffering. All of it comes and is allowed by a sovereign God. All of it has purpose. Again, Peter has mentioned this already, and we've seen it in chapter 4. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised when fiery trials come upon you to test you. Notice that. Do not be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. I can't tell you the specific purpose for why God allows certain suffering. That you have gone through, that you are going through, but according to this verse, we do see one reason, and that is to 
identify with Christ. Not only do you have shared suffering with other brothers and sisters in Christ, but you actually have shared suffering with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That it's in your loneliness you understand that Christ was lonely. In fact, abandoned and forsaken by all. That in your pain you understand, at least in parts, the pain of Christ for you, that in your brokenness you understand the, the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in your loss you understand the, the loss of life that Christ endured all for you. And there, oddly enough, we find comfort because there we find the answer. It is Christ. It's always Christ, but especially Christ in our sorrow and in our pain. So let me ask you this morning, are you finding your solace there? Are you going to Christ? Are you casting your cares upon Him because you're finding in Him all that you need? It is there because He is there. But let me also remind you again that no matter what you're going through, it is only one snapshot. It's one still frame in the midst of an entire reel. It does not define the whole of your existence. It does not define the whole of your story. Because we see, second here, Peter goes on to talk about a future reality that awaits those that Peter is writing to might most likely have a longing to go home, go back to their former land, go back to Israel. And their current situation of being exiles is difficult. It is hard. But I think what Peter is saying throughout this letter is that your physical exile, you being foreigners, you being strangers is also a part of what you are to experience in a sense in this world spiritually. What do I mean by that? Well, this place is not to be our final home. And that was true for the readers during Peter's day. Yes, Israel, though it was the promised land, was never to be the full and final promise. The land of Israel was to point to a greater land yet to come. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. It says the patriarchs desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Notice that they weren't desiring just that land that God had promised them. Yes, as good as it was, but they were desiring a better country, a greater home. As the author of Hebrews says, a heavenly one. And you, like me, might live here, but you might come from a different part of the country or even part, a different part of, of the world. This is home, but this isn't necessarily home-home, as we might call it. We were born and raised in a different place. And we are always thankful for home. No doubt the Thomases who are with us today are glad to be home. 
But in some sense, they may not even know where home is as they are transitioning to a new place when they go back. Yet wherever is home, there is a greater home yet to come. And we must not lose sight of that. And notice the perspective that Peter gives here in verse 10. That after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. We're called to a greater glory. We're called to a greater home. Many of you know that I grew up in Michigan and during the summers we used to go to this island in the middle of Lake Michigan. You might not know that there are islands out there in the lake, but there are. And we would get on this ferry and it would be about a two to three hour ferry ride from the mainland to the islands. And two to three hours as a kid was torturously long because Getting to the island meant that that's when vacation would begin. And this was a no-thrills ferry. No food, no entertainment, merely transportation. And so my brother and I would go to the front of the ferry about every 10 to 15 minutes to see if we could spot the island. And we'd go up there and we wouldn't see it and we'd have to go back. And we would do that about 20 times in the ferry ride. And then finally seemed so long, you'd see this small blip of something on the horizon. And you would have thought that we were Christopher Columbus discovering the new world. We were so excited. And from the moment that we saw it, we would not let it leave our sights. As it grew bigger and bigger, so would our excitements. That spotting of that land cured the doldrums of the ferry ride. And that is essentially what Peter is saying here. If that we focus on our present suffering, we miss the end. We miss the hope. And we need to keep that end in sight. And that end is the eternal glory. Think about that for a moment. Because that word, those two words, should amaze us. Eternal glory. That there will be no end to the glory that we shall see, that we shall receive, and that we shall be a part of. Tonight, there's going to be a team that wins. I've heard that there's some kind of football game on or something. Tonight, there's going to be a team that wins, but that will be a momentary glory. One shining moment, as we say. And by tomorrow, already, it will begin to fade. And then the next, and then the next. By this time next year, we'll have to think, who was it that won again? But not the glory that we will receive. That Christ, in the fullness of the Godhead, the bride of Christ, in its perfection. The fullness of his presence. The collective response to that, to that thought should be glory. Glory, the all glorious God. And that glory will only grow exponentially every day that we are there. 
And that is what is before us. That is what is on the horizon. It is all within distance to us. It is close and nearby. We're to keep that country, that greater country, that greater land constantly before us. We're never to lose sight of it. And as he says there in verse 10, even though you suffer for a little while, again, Peter is not making light of their suffering. Some of them are losing their life. But that suffering, even as terrible as it might be, in the light of all eternity, is but a little, is it not? According to the eternal glory of heaven and of the new heavens and of the new earth, that nothing will compare to it. Well, that is our present situation in our future glory. But third, we see then the in-between. You might say, okay, I, I got it. I, I understand our present situation may not be that great, and our, our future one will be far more glorious than we can even imagine. But how do I get from here to there? What gets me between these two poles so I don't get bogged down in my current situation? What is it that's going to keep me going? What's going to give me purpose? And I think it's this. And we're reminded that God is at work. That God is always at work. That the one who keeps us never slumbers nor sleeps. And what is it that he is doing here? Well, we see the end of verse 10, four words that in eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. First, he will restore. The idea is to get back in place. Something that is out of whack or out of balance. It's used for setting a bone like a doctor would or a chiropractor would, Peter is saying that there is much in this life that is out of alignment. In fact, everything can be topsy-turvy, upside down. The wicked can prosper. The righteous can suffer. But the promise that we have, according to this, is that the world will be restored. It will be set in place once again. All that is lost will be returned to its former glory, including ourselves. The prophet Joel says in Joel 2, 25, I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Matthew 19, Jesus says, Everyone who has left home or brother or sister or father or mother, children or lands for my namesake, will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. That we can never outgive God, that what will be given will be returned to us one hundredfold. That there is an investment that is made, but there is a return on that investment, that He is going to restore everything that you do for God and for His glory. And that one day we shall see that true and full restoration. In the meantime, we see this confirming, as he goes on to say, this undergirding, that the ground given to you as a believer is steady, 
That we're given a solid foundation. That we have the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. The man shall build his house on the rock. His life upon the rock of Christ Jesus. That we need not waver to the right or to the left. Or wonder what is happening. What is taking place in the midst of the storm. We know that we have everything that we need. That we're never outside of His hand. Never outside of His promises. That we have a steady anchor that holds. That we are confirmed in this. Third, we are strengthened. That we are encouraged. That we are built up by His spirits. That we are being built into a dwelling place for God. With Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And we shall be established, unmovable, unshakable, not being tossed to and fro any longer. Why? Why are all of these things true? Why are all of these things true right now? Because Jesus is at work, always at work. And so how do we get from where we are to that future glory We only get there through Christ. In and through Christ. Peter's words are very precise here. He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. It's Christ from beginning to end. It's Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega. And so Peter is saying the ground that was lost will be restored. Will be reinstated. At the foundation is sure. It is confirmed. The building is being built up. It is strengthened. And the dwelling is secure. It is established. Or perhaps, let me put it this way, the years of your life that might have been lost are now being restored. That life now in Christ is sure. That our existence is ever strengthened every day that we go. And that our future is secure. Again, why is that true? Because it's not us. It's us in Christ. Christ in us, us in Christ. That is truly the answer. Conclude with this. Businesses that have some longevity oftentimes put on their advertising when they were established. The year that they began. They don't do that if they were started last year. But if they've been around for a while, they note that. They mark that. In the front of our bulletin, we put on there, when this church was established, it was established in 1914, if you didn't know that. It demonstrates endurance. It demonstrates that This business, or in this case, this church has gone through some things. Think about that. World War I, the Great Depression, World War II, etc. A hundred years plus. It's a long time. But the reality is that in Jesus Christ, the church of Christ is established from all eternity. Because it is founded and built up In the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ancient of days, the one who is from everlasting 
to everlasting. The one who is his in verse 11 has dominion forever and ever. We are restored, we are confirmed, we are strengthened, we are established because we are in Christ. We have Christ Jesus our Lord. And so don't get caught up in whatever your frame is currently. Be it good or even be it bad. We're to look from eternity past to eternity future and every point in between. And what we see on every still frame, every snapshot is the Lord Jesus Christ. That every aspect of life points us to Christ and points us to the fact that He is at work even in this whatever this may be currently. And so as we go to the table this morning, as we go and taste and see and be reminded once again that God is good, that we see in this broken bread and poured out wine that we have all the answer that we need, that we receive Christ, that we have Christ, and Christ is indeed in us. Rejoice this day in that reality, that truth that is truly ours. Amen.